welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 120. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line by nobody. I, I don't know. Stuff happened. Um, it's just me tonight. So uh, I thought I'd get, uh, get it in before uh, the week gets too far along here. Um, thanks very much for joining us, everybody. So really, really appreciate it. All right, I uh, hope everyone out there had a lovely weekend. Uh, I know I sure did. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later, coming up in one of our uh, future episodes, or, or sorry, our future segments here But today. But um, hopefully everyone had a great weekend. Uh, we're, we're, we're in the midst of the fall uh, or the autumn, uh, full-fledged up here in Ontario. Uh, the leaves are beautiful. The weather's cooled off, and uh, it definitely feels like, um, like magic's in the air everywhere. So... Um, let's see a little housekeeping and then we'll get into our show, all right? So, uh, if you like what you hear on the show every week, you can check out all of our content on thelotuscouncil.com. All of our back episodes are there. You can catch them all there. Um, and you can find a lot more than just our episodes from the show. You can find videos, uh, for our YouTube. They can find the Twitch, the Twitch stream. You can find the discord. The discord is a great resource for everybody who is interested in playing commander or anything really, really related to magic. There's lots of people in that vibrant community that are excited to talk about magic and share their ideas about lots of different things. Uh, some people want to set up playing EDH games over a spell table. Uh, lots of other cool things going on too. Sometimes a box break or other things. Uh, so come in and check it out for yourself and see it. The Discord link will be in the show notes down below. So you can check it out for yourself and come and join us. Uh, I know I'll be happy to see you. So come and join me in thelotuscouncil.com. Um, it is episode 120, so we do have a giveaway. Our, so we had a bootlegger stash that we were going to give away as part of our 110 episode uh, giveaway. It's still available, so we're going to be giving away the bootlegger stash. It is a foil copy from New Capenna. Uh, we also have a booster pack of MH2, so a draft booster of uh, Modern Horizons 2, complete with all those cool elementals or a Ragavan or other great cards that are very, very influential in uh, lots of different formats. So if you are maybe a modern player on the side, or maybe you want to use some of those MH2 cards in an upcoming deck, um, stick around to the end of the show to find out how you can win uh, an MH2 pack or a bootlegger stash. All right. Um, all right. So let's have a segment one. We're going to have a segment one will be our garbage or great. Segment two, we have a little update on what I got up to this weekend because I think it's some pretty cool and some different things to talk about. And then we have a deck tonight um, from Dominaria United, Rivaz of the Claw. All right, so uh, tonight's uh, Garbage or Great is Rite of Replication. So two blue-blue for a sorcery uh, with Kicker 5. So Kicker for 5 generic. Um, and then create a, a token that's a copy of target creature. If this spell was kicked, create 5 of those tokens instead. Well, um... This card is one of those ones that I don't think people talk about very frequently in Commander, but the card is outstanding. Um, the ability to, to copy one of your powerful spells is important. Um, some some important creature. Um, but to not only get one copy, to get five copies is kind of ridiculous. So um, this card is very, very potent. It does a lot of crazy broken things. As a late game finisher, you can very easily take over the game with this sort of effect in your in your deck. Uh, nine mana is obviously a spot where you're going to want to close out the game with it. Um, so it, it's really, really valuable. Now, 
the issue does become that as Commander has continued to evolve, there are more and more legendary creatures that get played all the time. So the problem with this is if you try and write a replicate another token, um, that's a, sorry, a creature that is a legendary creature and turn it into a token, you end up being impacted by the legendary rule unless you have something like Mirror Box or some other um, effect that will allow you to circumvent the legend rule. But that seems to be like a small price to pay. Um, I'm going to say like cards that get, you know, obviously get played with it pretty regularly um, are things like, oh, geez, let's have a look at some of these commanders. Um, da -da 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 -da. Oh my goodness, look at these, some of these cards. There's some really cool cards that go with this one. Um, but it goes in lots of cool decks. So uh, Adrix and Nev seem to be the top one, uh, where it appears in like 88% of those decks because you're making, it's a blue-green token deck. Uh, Verizal, very similar, you're making lots of tokens. Sakashima, you're making tokens. Uh, and you're making, and so and since Sakashima allows you to circumvent the legendary rule, that seems pretty strong. Um, just lots of really cool ways that you can make copies of things. Um, one of the things that I hadn't quite contemplated, so I'm looking at some of these high-profile commanders that are going to play with it, so something like Kaiga the Tidestar. Uh, Kaiga says that um, when Kaiga the Tidestar dies, gain control of target creature. Well, if you make five copies uh, of a Kaiga, uh, you're going to have to sacrifice five of them, because and the sixth one will stay in play, which means you're getting five death triggers of, of your Kaiga, meaning you're stealing five creatures from your opponents, which seems really strong. Uh, Kyrie the Swirling Sky, same sort of thing as a death trigger, and now you can you know return non-land permanence, or you can mill six cards. So you could potentially mill a bunch of cards, return a bunch of things, and, and, and go kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, the card seems like lots of fun, seems very strong. Uh, it appears in over 44,000 decks, which means it's, you know, widely played and widely adopted. And because of all the reprintings that it's had, it's it's under five bucks right now, making it a very valuable or value-laden play um, so that, and it, that won't wreck your wallet. So I think Rite of Replication is a great card. If you're looking for something spicy to, to really amp up the power of your deck, I think this is a great choice. And um, yeah, obviously something that you probably should consider playing in your deck. Okay, Ooh. pardon me. Okay, segment two. Um, let's talk quickly about my weekend. Um, my weekend, I went away for the weekend, and I ended up having a chance to play Cube Draft with my friends. Um, so one of my friends, actually my brother, George, who's been on the show, has a cube, a uh, 540-card cube uh, that's a, that is built off the MTGO um, Vintage Cube that is available on Magic the Gathering Online. And we had so much fun playing Cube. Um, the nice thing interesting and interesting here is, that, and we've talked about it before in the show, um, is around proxies. And increasingly, um, I think I've come to grips with the fact that I think proxies are more and more an acceptable way for us to play the game. Uh, particularly when you're, you're doing something like a Cube, a repeatable draft format, where having proxies in your pool, um, particularly of expensive pieces, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so he had a cube that was, you know, all proxied. The backs of the cards were not clearly not magic art uh, or magic, the magic card backing. Um, and the art was a little bit off so that you knew it wasn't uh, a, a duplicate or a replica or known as a counterfeit. But these are very clearly cards to be designed to be played. And so his cube cost him significantly cheaper than if he actually purchased a 
the full authentic cards. Um, but we had a lot of fun drafting cubes. So we drafted it once over the weekend. And then after we were done, we all looked at each other and said, let's, 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 let's do it again. And we did it again. And you know what we, so we played, we played cube for probably 10 hours on Saturday and thoroughly loved the experience. So, um, anyway, if anyone's out there and looking to build a cube, uh, there's lots of great resources on the internet. Uh, it's a great way to have a repeatable draft format, uh, a way to generate value with your cards in such a way that you're not having to shell out more money. I think one of the things that commander players or players in general are having to be conscious about is how much money they invest in the game right now because of the just sort of the global economics of the world. Um, you know, it's you know the price of gas, the price of in like interest rates on mortgages, uh, the price of food, the price of everything really has gone up significantly. Meaning that some families may find, or some players may find, it a little bit trickier to sink money into magic cards. And uh, I'm no different. Uh, I, I have to reevaluate how I choose to spend my discretionary income um, because it does cost a lot of money to play this game. So, um, repeatable draft formats are ways that you can enjoy your cards uh, that you already own. Um, you can do lots of cool things with different different types of cubes. All right, so something to think about if you're going out to play with your friends or looking for something interesting to do. Uh, if you have extra cards lying around, you can always put together a cube and uh, try it out with your friends and see if people like it. All right, um, I found some interesting things on the internet uh, this past week. So I found this article here talking about the Warhammer 40K decks that recently came out. So they came out August, uh, October 7th. And uh, this particular player... Uh, went through over a hundred games on YouTube uh, that where various content creators had um, a watch or sorry, created games using the the decks from the precon, and uh, consequently they tracked the statistics and the winning winning percentages of of those of the various pre-constructed decks. That's really interesting because I, I don't think I've ever seen that before where I've seen the decks matched up one against each one against another um now the statistics bear out here pretty interestingly because um out of 100 matches the necron dynasties deck seems to have won 33 games out of the 100 games that were played or roughly 33 percent of the games which is a very very high um percentage considering that everybody starts with uh even 25 percent odds to win the game so to see a deck pick up a, almost eight percent of additional uh, additional win rate uh, is pretty telling, um, and it suggests that the Necron deck is very powerful. Um, followed uh, secondly by the Forces of the Imperium deck, so the uh, the Esper colored uh, Imperium deck uh, was, had won twenty seven matches out of that hundred, and uh, the Tyranid Swarm had won twenty one, and the Ruinous Powers. Uh, which is the Chaos deck, had won 19 games. Meaning it, ha it had a win rate of about 19%, meaning it's down 6% from its base start point. So what do I think these statistics mean? I think these statistics tell us um, particularly um, where sort of some of the power lies. And I think some of the power in the Necron deck lies in the fact that it was a monocolored deck uh, with a the heavy artifact theme that I think is a very powerful... Um, way to play the game so i uh i do think that they, they, there's something to that uh whereas the other decks were all three color decks um so there's something about the, the singular color 
a tribute to the Necron deck probably gave it a leg up. Maybe the mana was better um, or other such things giving it an edge. Um, but also there were some very, very powerful things in the Necron deck that we all identified. Uh, when Lux and I were doing some of our reviews of the set, uh, the Necron deck looked very strong with some very powerful pieces um, to go along with it. Um, they also have win rate by commander. I'm not going to go through them all, but a few of them jumped off the page as being very high. Uh, uh, Zarek, the Silent King, is the Necron commander uh, that has the highest win rate at uh, in 70 matches with 25 wins, or roughly 35%. Uh, and Rakir, the Traveler, had, had played in 15 matches, won 6, which is a very high ratio, but it's a very small sample size. Marnius Calgar, uh, which is the one of the uh, alternate commanders from the uh, the Imperium deck, uh, have been the has a win rate of 11 out of 34, or roughly 33% as well. Um, and then uh, Magus Lucia Kane has another one, 33 matches with running 12. Those sort of all jump out to me as being very high win rates, well above the 25% win rate that you would come to expect, where they're all over 30%. Um, so these are interesting, uh, you know, statistics as well too, to suggest which commander might be the most powerful. I think everyone who read Marnius Calgar would identify that as being a very powerful commander from the outset. Zarek too, Zarek's very powerful. And I think everyone who read him were like, wow, he mills the graveyard. He does a lot of very powerful things, uh, all on his own without much, uh, without much trouble. Um, so yeah, let's just pull up Zarek to have a look at him. So Zarek the Silent King, one black, black, black for a Necron 3-4 with flying. Uh, whenever Zarek the Silent King attacks, mill three cards. You may put an artifact, creature card, or vehicle card from among the cards milled this way into your hand. So he's creating a lot of, uh, a lot of card value um, just, by, just by doing what you want to do and attacking. So um, these pre-con decks, I think the consensus seems to be that they are very strong. Um, the win rates on some of them are obviously stronger than others. But I think they've all been pushed uh, as a product, which I think is ultimately very positive um, for someone looking for a um, a format or, or a game that is not necessarily typical for a pre-constructed deck. So usually those sorts tend to be slow and pedantic. This seems to be a little bit more high-powered, um, a little more juice to it, so to speak, um, and something that definitely, if you're looking for something... A, an interesting place to put some some extra money if you have some into some of this stuff so uh by all means go and check it out i'll leave the link in the show notes and you can check it out and check the stats out for yourself and see what it looks like all right uh next okay give me a second here edh rec posted their top salty or their saltiest cards the top 100 saltiest cards um and there were some things that didn't really move some things that did move um Let's look at the quick, quickly at the top 10. So we have Stasis, which is not a surprise because people hate run, uh, skipping their untapped phase. Winter Orb, same thing. Static Orb, same thing. Bornclex, messes with your mana. People hate it. Expropriate, that seems like a dead like a dead one. Uh, Armageddon, mm, are we really debating this one? Armageddon's pretty salt-inducing. Thassa's Oracle, and this is an interesting one because Thassa's Oracle now has a rather high salt score and it even went up from last year um meaning that people are increasingly uh, dissatisfied with people killing them with thassa oracle uh win conditions um just something to think about as you're as you sit down to build a deck if you're tempted to read for a thassa oracle 
you may want to think about having that conversation with your play group before you start talking, before you start slinging cards. Uh, Jocko Hops comes in at eight. Uh, Lux's favorite, if anyone's listening to the show. Um, that just destroys lands, just resets the game, so it pretty well stinks. Obliterate, more of the same. Devastation puts us at 10. These are all just destroying all things on the battlefield. Let's go look at the other end, sort of maybe the things that are least, uh, or, not, or, not, or at the top 100. So, Notion Thief is the 100th card. So, apparently people don't really mind it when they lose their draw steps and their, parent, and their opponent steals their cards. Atraxa. Um, I don't know why Atraxa is salt-inducing. I know Atraxa is a very powerful value engine as a commander, but ultimately it's a very fair card. Uh, it's kind of it's a little on the slow side even. Um, I've seen it played as a as a uh, super friends deck. I've seen it played as a plus one plus one counter deck. I've seen it played as an infect deck, and uh, other ways you can build it too. I suppose if you really want to. In all the versions, Atraxa is ultimately very beatable and very playable. If you interact with it, because you have to kill Atraxa. Once you, once you derail Atraxa, um, the deck usually is, becomes something that's far more manageable to play against. So I'm not sure why it's on this list, but it, here is number 99. Temporal Mastery, extra turn cards. Okay, so these, these seem to genuinely uh, routinely create situations where people are salty. Choke, mm, yes, choke. I think I'm, I like the card choke. Fun card. Uh, Keldon Firebombers. Um, oh, sacrificing all lands seems good. Torment of Hailfire. I've railed about this one before on our show because this is literally a card that requires so little of you to be good. It just requires a lot of mana for it to be good. Um, and that really hardly seems like a really valuable inclusion to our format. But there it is. Agent of Treachery, because it's very mean to blink Agent of Treachery and steal all your opponent's stuff. Oppre oppression, um, so people have to discard a card for casting things. It seems kind of miserable. Triumph of the Hordes, because people hate Infect, and then Fall of the Thran. Um, if you want to see the list as well, you, we'll put that in the show notes as well. You can go check out EDH Rex. Uh, you can see for yourself if you agree or if you think other things should be higher or lower or maybe there's something in your play group that you think should be on there because and we just haven't found it yet. Super interesting stuff. Um, well worth the look. All right. Uh, we have a couple of new cards that were previewed from uh, the Brothers War. And so I thought it'd be worth our while talking about them. So let's talk about Mishra claimed by Gix. So we saw Urza uh, last time. Now we have Mishra, which who is his brother. So for two black red, we have a legendary creature, Phyrexian Human Artificer. Um, uh, Mishra is a three-five, and if well, whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. If Mishra claimed by Gix and a creature named Phyrexian Dragon Engine are attacking, attacking, and you both own and control them, exile them. Then meld them into Mishra, lost to Phyrexia, and it enters the battlefield tapped. So whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life, and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. Sure, you want to play that as a bit of a go-wide strategy, I guess you can. Um, the life gain is actually surprisingly interesting and, um, and a little unexpected for a card that is based in red, along with black, but so be it. Um, so... I think this card ultimately is interesting. I don't know how powerful it is from the outset. 
uh, but definitely something that people are interested in checking out. Let's see the other half of the combo, though, because as with Urza, you probably want to read or have the whole card. Um, so, Phyrexian Dragon Engine. For three generic, you have an artifact creature, Phyrexian Dragon. It's a 2-2 with double strike. When Phyrexian Dragon Engine enters the battlefield from your graveyard, you may discard your hand. If you do, draw three cards and then unearth it for three red red. Okay. Um, I feel less excited about this. Um, I do like the fact that if you get it back from your graveyard, you can, like, let's first, you can let this, you can kind of run it out here as a 3-3, three, three, sorry, as a 2-2 two, two with double strike, let it die, go to your graveyard, and then go find your Mishra, put Mishra on the battlefield, have an attack, and unearth a Phyrexian Dragon Engine to get the meld, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, and then on top of just melding, you draw a bunch of cards, which I think is good enough that you would want to try and do this. Let's see the back. So, legendary creature... Oh, we have uh, Phyrexia... Oh, no, I'm missing the card. Uh, Mishra Lost to Phyrexia is the name of the back card when you meld them together. Uh, it's a 9-9 legendary artifact creature, Phyrexian Artificer. Whenever Mishra Lost to Phyrexia enters the battlefield or attacks, choose three of the following. Target opponent discards two cards. Mishra deals three damage to any target. Destroy target artifact or planeswalker. Creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn. Creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. And create two ta tapped power stone tokens. So, um, again, just like with Urza, none of the modes are bad. There are so many options on Mishra that you're bound to find something that you want to do. Here's the hitch with these cards that I sort of with Urza too. It takes a lot of work to set this up in order to make Urza, sorry, Mishra and the Phyrexian Dragon Engine come together to be uh, meld together the thing. So I think you have to really ask yourself, do you really want one or the other of these cards in your, in your deck at all? Um, and if you don't want one, then you don't want the other one. Uh, it sounds terrible to say. But, like, I don't think either one is good enough to play on its own, on its on, at face value. You're going to need to do better than that. So, I think, um, unfortunately for both of these cards, that unless you have a deck that seems to want both of them, um, you're probably going to say, you know what, this is not for, this is not a great fit. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you try them elsewhere or you put them aside. and I, I don't know. But they, I don't think that they're, they're particularly good on their own merits. Obviously, if you can meld them together, they do crazy things, which is all you know. Probably half the reason why you're going to play them. But just saying, not a huge fan with um, with the Phyrexian Dragon Engine being particularly good uh, at all. And same thing with Mishra. Anyway, that's my that's my thought. Um, I might have to try and play with around with a deck and see if we can get it to work. But we'll start for now saying they're not not a great. Great choice. All right, let's go to the Ravaz of the Claw deck. So I think Ravaz is a pretty cool commander because Ravaz cares about dragons. So uh, let's have a quick read of Ravaz. Uh, one black red for a 3-3 legendary creature via Sheena Warlock with Menace. Tap, add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast dragon creature spells. And then once during each of your turns, you may cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard. Whenever you cast a dragon creature spell from your graveyard, it gains when this creature dies, exile it. So you're being 
encouraged to uh, play a lot of dragons. And so you're playing a black-red dragon deck, um, which I think is pretty interesting because of the fact that there's enough really cool dragons that if you can mill them into your graveyard, you can then use Ravaz's ability, including um, the ability to make two mana to cast them. Um, is going to help reduce the casting cost of some of these more expensive dragons. Um, there's lots of other ways to make your dragons cheaper. So you have Dragon Lord Servant. Um, what else do we have? Dragon Lord Servant. There was a bunch of other ones too. Um, I can't find it right now. There was others. Oh dear. Where did where did my uh well we have okay sorry that's not true we have a we have a dragon lord servant. I know in the artifacts there is a herald's horn which also going to reduce the casting cost of things. Hazaret's Monument is going to make red, red, red Dragon Spells cost less as well. So we're getting a way to chop off some additional um, cost to your, to your uh, big dragons, of which you have many. You have Prosper, who's going to help you cast them because you are going to get, get treasure tokens when you can exile things and cast them from exile with, with Prosper. But Revaz, because of Revaz's ability to cast them from, uh, from the graveyard, I think ends up being our commander. Um, we have a number of ways to mill things into your graveyard. So an undead butler seems like a good way. Citrus supplier, uh, perpetual timepiece. Uh, these cards are all going to allow you to put a few, dump a few things in your graveyard. Hopefully it's going to allow you to, um, flip over some dragons so that you can then cast them out of your graveyard for free or for cheap. I mean, um, just, just some good stuff. There's a lot of cool dragons in here, um, things that are come to be expected. There's a lot of them where the very best and most expensive dragons I have left at home. So Terror of the Peak isn't in the list. Uh, Terror of the Peak is a very expensive card. Um, but we decided to leave some of them behind. But we do have a Thundermaw Hellkite, which is always very powerful. Scourge of Valkis, which is also very powerful. Um, Obsid Obsidian Charmaw, which I think is pretty cool. Um... Just a lot of really cool dragons that are usually, for the most part, pretty reasonably priced. Um, and then you're looking for some card draw to make this all work. So um, we have things like Big Score to draw you cards. We've got a Deadly Dispute. That's definitely a thing. Um, you get a few other, few other odds and sods. Where are they? So you get... Oh, Commander Sphere will help you draw a card... There's just sort of just enough ways to keep you going, um, but you're not having a ton of card draw in this particular deck, um, if only because um, like there's you're looking to use the graveyard as your way of generating card value or card advantage rather than just straight up raw drawing of cards. Um, we could do that, I suppose, but we're looking to try and make the best use of what we have available to us. So, anyway, cool deck. Costs $178. It's a little much, but uh, but um, there's a few things you can drop pretty easily. So there is a Sarkon Fireblood, which is a three-mana Sarkon that really cares about dragons, like really cares about dragons. Pretty easy to uh, to, to chop him out if you really need to. Dragon Lord Colagon is, is an $11 card. I don't even know where where uh, Dragon Lord Colagon has gone. Like, it just... You don't need to play it. Um, and there's lots of other things that you could remove to sort of get your cost down. 
Um, you can play Prosper. Prosper's a $12, $13 card. And it's probably at the cheapest. So anyway, there's ways to make the deck cheaper if you need to. Um, without impacting the playability of the deck, I, I believe. So anyway, that's the that's the deck. It's pretty straightforward. Um, make some big red, red and black dragons. Uh, turn them sideways. And uh, have a good time. So have a look. Check out the list uh, in the show notes when you get a chance. Uh, if there's something you liked or didn't like, you th- some other idea that you had, please let me know. Uh, I'm all ears. So I'd love to hear what you people have to think. All right. Um, this has been a quick one, folks. We're going to keep it about a half an hour. Let you guys go on with your way. Um, but we're going to wrap this one up. So thanks very much, everybody, for cho- tuning in this week. Uh, for episode 120, if you want to get in on the giveaway... Um, when the post the show goes live, you need to uh, follow follow us on Twitter and then like uh, like it, retweet it, and include the hashtag #EpicExpCast. Um, that's going to be how I track you guys and find out who it is who's helping to promote the show. Uh, would love to see more people hashtag us each and every week. Um, if, even if you don't want to listen to the you don't listen to the show regularly or you don't want to win. Um, leave, please leave us some feedback, um, or you want to ask us some questions. Uh, you can always email us at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. Um, super easy to do, and super, and I'm I'm checking every day. Uh, maybe you want to hit us up on Twitter. You can look us up at Epic Exp Cast, or you can find us on Instagram using that same ha- um, handle at Epic Exp Cast. That is us. Um, you can find all of our deck ideas on Moxfield.com. Please look for the username, the Epic Experiment Podcast, and you can go and find whatever you want of any of our decks there. Um, and then, of course, whatever application you're listening to us from, uh, please like, follow, subscribe, leave a comment, whatever, to help spread the word, help us remember uh, how to do this properly, what, who needs to be included in it. So let us know. All right. Uh, until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off. Hopefully Lux is back next week. Uh, until then, have yourselves a great week. Enjoy playing Magic wherever you next play it. And we'll see you soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have a good day.